0: Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers, I'm going to do a broadcast that I finally got set up right, so today we're going to talk about a little bit of brainwashing, uh, social engineering, uh, the freedom bracelet out of uh, Israel, HR1, which leads us to propaganda, and how it's been used in the past and how it is today, and um, discussion with uh, James Corbett, and doing analysis and finally ended off with the positive note of homesteading. So we'll discuss those topics here in just a minute. Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Jason Powers. i um, in West Lafayette and it's uh, the day before St. Patty's Day, and I am Irish. Uh, I was, uh, my family comes from uh, Ireland, Antrim, as a matter of fact um at least my uh according to my uh I, one of my relatives who did a ancestry back to all the way back to the 1550s but uh mainly uh, from the 1660s we have a lot of uh, relatives that show up on the on the radar so anyway um happy uh St. Patty Day St. Patty's Day to tomorrow everybody will be Irish and everybody will be trying to cope with whatever uh, situations are presented to them. So today, we're going to start off with um, an article on uh, brainwashing. Uh, it's from WND, uh, Brainwashing America's Next Generation. Um, I think we all are pretty well aware that we're being uh, socially engineered, or rather our children are, uh, to hate this country. So I'm going to read a little bit from it, but then I'm going to move on in and To the next articles So in 1984 George Orwell's Famous novel about a nightmarish Future society the main character Winston Smith runs afoul of the ruling Party for insisting That 2 plus 2 make 4 Only after being tortured by those In power does he come around to the Agreeing that of course 2 plus 2 Make 5 America in 2021 has become Orwell's 1984 and nowhere More so than in the nation's school in New York City, math education professor Laurie Rubel claims the whole notion that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is one one that reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. How is that remotely possible? As the Brooklyn College professor explained in a tweet, the idea that math or data is culturally neutral or in any, any way objective is a myth, along with, of course math is neutral because 2 plus 2 equals 4 trope Are the related and creepy, math is pure and protect math, reeks of white supremacist patriarchy, is what um, this professor had to say. So, likewise in Oregon, the state's education department is promoting a pathway to math equity. Uh, That word equity is becoming quite uh, uh, pernicious in our education and our um, governmental uh, entities and institutions. Which should tell you something about what they're pushing. They're just—they're just—they're—they're they're not even hiding what they're trying to do, and they haven't been for years. It's just been a slow creep over the past decade to get to this point. So, in a, uh, a training manual, it, they're uh, dismantle racism in mathematics instruction. Yeah, so it just gives you an idea of what's going going into it in the in the teacher's guide it says the concept of mathematics as being purely objective is unequivocally false uh upholding the idea that there are always right and wrong answers perpetuate objectivity as well as a fear of open conflict these people are just crazy so and, and then they discuss some things that i had already uh looked at before uh regarding rutgers university which has a pr- very uh Embedded uh, women's department there that is trying to push all kinds of social justice and BLM uh, situations. <clears throat> it's 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 just a sign of where we're at today, which is sad because we're all going to have to suffer through this. Uh, the next uh, the next article about is uh, the freedom bracelet, and and it'll tie into the propaganda that I'm talking about. So, the freedom bracelet tracking device launched as an alternative to quarantine um this was launched out of Israel and that was done it was done a couple this article is a couple weeks old so it's not as current as it needs to be but basically uh the device which looks like a smartwatch is being produced by a company called uh, Supercom which has previously worked with governors, governments of uh, several countries on systems to track and monitor pr- prisoners and like I said, it's just like an ankle bracelet that they, they put on for GPS monitoring. Uh, but the the CEO of the company called it a freedom bracelet because we're not locking anybody up, but rather giving them the opportunity to go home. Yeah, and of course, and tracked by the government if they try to leave their house. It's, it's quite a, a leap of logic. And it's quite interesting that the, a country such as Israel would be pushing such things even though they are, there are there has been some pushbacks on vac- vaccination. But the thing is, is you would think that they'd be well aware of what it's like to live in a two tier society, and yet here they are creating it all over again uh, because that's what these uh, these because the vaccinations aren't going anywhere. Even though there there has been a significant amount of pushback in many cases, we have companies, major corporations, that are using uh, vaccination as a, a form of coercion and blackmail them. To get you to submit and go ahead and do it. Uh, with no, with, uh, here's the funny thing they wasn't even, they, they were just, they hadn't even done animal trials at this point last year. Vaccinations have, they're not safety tested. This kind of uh, uh, abhorrent uh, uh, refusal to look at safety protocols, the way they're supposed to be in, in place for such things, I mean, you're actually shooting this into a human being. I mean, there's a there's a thing in the in the uh, U.S. Constitution called the Eighth Amendment, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. Well, this could be con- considered cruel and unusual punishment if you die from an anaphylactic shock or some other adverse event. I'm not going to pretend to know every, everything about the science, but if you pep uh, of if you uh, have an adverse reaction and die of this, you basically kill the person with a shot. And yet, there's no recourse. You can't see the vaccine manufacturers, um, and then they'll say, "Oh, those things are incredibly rare." Well, they're still; ra- they may be very rare, you know, at least in their mindset. But why are we? You know, we didn't we didn't install any. Uh, we haven't uh, gone through the the quote methods and process. And from what I've heard of the the earlier trials on animals, uh, the outcomes of those were rather abysmal. And looking at the phase three trials, the number of adverse events, uh, classic uh, things that come along with this, uh, were rather significant for Moderna and uh, Pfizer. And then AstraZeneca is being, uh, I think, suspended in 17 countries in Europe. So obviously the word's out. So let's just see where this goes. So our next story is... uh, Eight ways that HR one, the For the People Act, imperils freedom and, uh, and fair elections, and um, Mark Levin was interviewing uh, Hans von Sap- Sapovsky. Uh, he's from uh, the the Heritage Foundation, but it was interesting about oh, about thirty seconds into the interview, uh, Mark Levin uh, uh, lifted up a book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays, and he'll be. Um, we'll go into some detail on Mr. Bernays here, but going through the the topics, um, so the 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 eight the eight bullet points on this were that it would eviscerate state voter ID laws that require a voter to authenticate his or her identity. So, indeed, it would force states to allow anyone to vote simply who simply signs a form saying they are who they they claim they are. So there's no affidavit. It would make absentee ballots even more insecure than they already are. It would worsen the problem of inaccurate registration rolls, which are full of people who have died, moved away, or ineligible felons or non-citizens, or registered more than once. Uh, it it re- severely restricts the ability of states to take the basic steps necessary to maintain the accuracy of their voter, ro- voter rolls, such as comparing the list w- with those of other states or the U.S. Postal Service National Change of Address System. It would take away your ability to decide whether you want to register to uh, want to register to vote. And a matter of fact, it automatically registers individuals who are, interact with state agencies such as the DMV. It would force states to allow online registration, opening up the voter registration system to massive fraud by hackers and cyber criminals, which we know I mean, uh, matter of fact, today uh, in a in a source of fake news, I would call it uh, MSNBC decided to to roll out that there was some quote uh, interference from uh, Russia and Iran in our election, which is kind of contrary to what uh, uh, CISA said. I think back in November that this was the most secure election ever, and they're they're trying to counteract the. Then they said that China didn't uh, had had entertained inter- interfering in our election, but didn't. Uh, it's just so, such and that goes to the propaganda uh, propagandizing. So they're just mealy mouthing and they're selling you one idea instead of uh, uh, basically gaslighting and say, "Oh no, you know China would never interfere in our elections." Um, that's getting off the point, but the idea is is that uh, cyber criminals and cyber hackers are. Uh, hacking from all kinds of countries and you know some are going to be more successful than others some are going to have a greater magnitude of of uh of uh interaction but if you're going to allow online registration you're just giving them a portal to easily go in and manipulate the system and they already know that and they already are having that problem but why should you make it any easier this is why you uh this is the very reason why any uh Automated system hooked into our voting is going to be easily, uh, uh, you know. There's been multiple guys who have demonstrated that the system can be hacked. So, uh, matter of fact, one was from Russia. <laughs> I saw a video on him. It was talking about the Georgia election. It imposes onerous new regulatory uh, restrictions on political speech and activity, including online and poli- policy related speech. By candidates, citizens, civic groups, etc., it would authorize the IRS to investigate and consider the political and policy positions of nonprofit organizations when they apply to taxes apply for tax exempt status. But I'm sure that will only go in one direction, uh, based upon uh, uh, past experience. Considering it's being passed under a Democrat administration. It would set up a public a public funding system for candidates running for Congress, so you would have to fund a candidate that you may wholly disagree with. So that's a review of that, which I think uh, that leads us to where I want to go to next, which is uh, actually the talk on Edward Bernays. So we're gonna play two clips here. Uh, the first one's gonna be. Uh, a more of a historical understanding of uh, uh, torches of freedom. So well, let's, we'll go from there.
1: By lighting up what they called
2: torches of freedom. He knew this would be an outcry, and he knew that all of the photographers would be there to capture this moment. And so he was ready with a phrase, which was torches of freedom. And so here you have a symbol, women, young women, debutantes, smoking a cigarette in public with a phrase that means anybody who believes in this kind of equality pretty much has to support them in the ensuing debate about this because torches of freedom. I mean, what's on all American coins? It's liberty. She's holding up the torch, you see? And so all of this is there together. There's emotion, there's memory, there's a rational phrase even though it's using a lot of emotional elements, it's a a phrase that works in a rational sense. Uh, All of this is together. And so the next day, this was not just in all of the New York papers, it was across the United States and around the world. And from that point forward, uh, the sale of cigarettes to women began to rise. He had made them socially acceptable with a single symbolic act.
0: So there's clip one. This is from a, a, a video that was done about 20 years ago called uh, um, Century of the Self," and there's a it's a six part series. I think it was done I think uh, by the BBC if I'm not mistaken. And it goes through. That was one part of it. There was an ad executive or a, a mentor. Uh, he was mentored by Bernays and uh, worked with him. Uh, Back in the 40s and 50s. So he was discussing it, you know, 40 years after the fact. And Bernays had just died. I mean, he lived to live to 1995 and he was born in 1891. So Bernays has been influ, uh, influential in our system long, long prior to uh, uh, the situation. So we'll go to the next clip here.
3: Built up as a bubble, Charlie. And 9 11 to me was the, the, the peak of that bubble. And what we learned on 9-11, in a gut way, was that that bubble was a fundamental threat to our open society. Because there is no wall high enough, no INS agent smart enough, no metal detector efficient enough to protect an open society from people motivated by that bubble. And what we needed to do was go over to that part of the world, I'm afraid, and burst that bubble. We needed to go over there, basically... Um, and um, uh, Take out a very big stick um, right in the heart of of that world and um, And burst that bubble and there was only one way to do it because part of that bubble said We've got you this bubble is actually going to level the balance of power between us and you because We don't care about life. We're ready to sacrifice and all you care about are your stock options and your hummers and what they needed to see was American boys and girls Going house to house from Basra to Baghdad, um, and basically saying, "Which part of this sentence don't you understand? You don't think, you know, we care uh, about our open society? You think this bubble fantasy we're just going to let it grow? Well, suck on this, okay? That Charlie was what this war was about. We could have hit Saudi Arabia. It, it was part of that bubble. Could have hit Pakistan. We hit Iraq." because we could that's the real truth and the message
0: so there's thomas friedman the nobel prize uh or pulitzer prize sorry wrong wrong award but just as undeserving uh pulitzer prize winning author of uh uh whatever he wrote he wrote the all the books on globalization he's he's a he's a strong adherent he's uh uh, Palsy wowsies with uh, Bill Gates. I mean, like he knows them and Bezos and everybody, and Andrew Ross Sorkin and the whole uh, journalistic intelligentsia so to speak. Uh, he's he's quite a. He's been writing for the New York Times, I think, since 1980s. He got his. Uh, I'm only discussing his history because I I think it's a good to, a good reference to know where a person comes from. So he started. I think he he got his big real big story was, uh, the bombing in Jerusalem in, uh, I think 1982, uh, when uh, Marines were attacked there. I'm not going to pretend to know everything about that story, but I do remember that was one of the kickoffs of, uh, his career in particular. So anyway, you know, he's talking about open societies. Um, the funny thing is, is, uh, we've been, <laughs> we've been, uh, turning our society more authoritarian ever since then. Uh, thanks to, uh, you know, this was this interview was done in May two thousand three. Uh, it's quite interesting and it quite. This was about two months after the start of the Iraq War in March of t- uh, two thousand three, and here he is. He's spouting off and acting like he he a. Uh, the New York Times was part and parcel to us even getting into this war. Uh, uh, the lady he works with, Judith Miller, was. Was a part of the the Pulitzer Prize winning team. Uh, once again, an undeserving award. A matter of fact, probably one of the worst uh, awards ever uh, uh, given to a whole host of writing, because they were the ones who ginned up the, the quote unquote canisters and all that other j- jazz to got us into this war, and has actually wrecked the United States thanks to their idiocy, uh, and both driven by the New York Times uh, in the media. And this shows you what, this is where, where we're going with this because the media has stirred up so much of the crap that we deal with on a daily basis and they've stirred up, they've seeded ideas and they've uh, spread lies and they've uh, manipulated people and ginned up the philosophy and that's that goes to the whole pro, uh, the program of uh, Edward Bernays. And if it wasn't for shills like this guy and the amount of evil that they uh, pawn off on people, and the fact that we're uh, we're sitting here uh, in in 2021 and we're we're thir- almost 30 trillion dollars in debt, and we've we've you know pissed away money on foreign wars uh, and destroyed our economy, and this is all being driven by people like himself, the CIA, uh, the whole nine yards, everybody who's involved in DC. Uh, there i mean in, in the leftovers the the dc establishment and oh by the way we know that hillary clinton voted for the war we know that nancy pelosi was all on board for that kind of deal too and there's just a host of leftovers that are still there they're still making policy they're still making the rules and they're still making these uh, uh they're just doing everything they can to destroy this country And they don't even, and and they know it. They actually do know it. They're not unaware of that, unaware of that fact. So we're going to go to a long clip here from James Corbett. Uh, He did an excellent, this is actually, he did this from 2007. And uh, I'll just let him play, play out and we'll go from there.
2: You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com
4: Many people believe public relations is press agentry, flackery, publicity. Public relations is not that. It is a two-way street advising the client on attitudes and actions to win over the public on whom viability of the unit depends, and then educating, informing, and persuading the public to accept these social goods, ideas, concepts, or whatever.
5: Welcome to episode 33 of the Corbett Report. Meet Edward Bernays. What you have just been listening to is, in fact, an audio recording of Edward Bernays, a man who you have likely never heard of. There's no reason to feel ashamed of that. In fact, very few people probably know of Mr. Edward Bernays, although his influence on the 20th century cannot be underestimated, and his ideas still persist with us today in the 21st century. The fact that he's little known is rather ironic, considering this the opening lines of one of his most famous works— from Chapter 1, called Organizing Chaos. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. As I say, those are the opening words to Edward Bernays' most famous writings, a 1928 book called Propaganda. Yes, this is the man who literally wrote the book on propaganda, whose ideas influenced millions, and whose brilliant brainwashing propaganda techniques inspired the likes of Joseph Goebbels in Nazi Germany. You have likely never heard of Edward Bernays, as I say, but you have heard of his uncle, Sigmund Freud. The interesting thing is that Edward Bernays was the man who made Sigmund Freud a household name in the United States. To get an idea of how Sigmund Freud's American nephew popularized his ideas and invented the art of public relations, or mass brainwashing propaganda, let's take a listen to a whitewash documentary from NPR. NPR. This short audio examination of Edward Bernays' work gives us an idea of just how influential Edward Bernays has been.
1: This story of Sigmund Freud begins at the Florida Avenue Grill in Washington, D.C. Now, it might seem a little strange to start a story about the father of psychoanalysis in a soul food restaurant, but it turns out that if you look closely, there's a trace of Freud's influence even here. I'm
5: going to have bacon and eggs, cheese and the
1: eggs, Bacon and eggs, the all-American breakfast, is the most popular dish at the grill. According to waitress Catherine Leach, no other meal even comes close.
4: About 60%, I will say, are ordering bacon and eggs.
1: But bacon and eggs wasn't always America's first choice for breakfast. The idea that this was the best way to start your day, like so many other things in American life, was actually systematically engineered by a public relations agent in this case, a public relations agent who was greatly influenced by, and intimately connected to, Sigmund Freud, his nephew, Edward Bernays. Bernays grew up in America, but spent each summer walking the hills of Austria with his famous uncle. And during those outings, he absorbed many lessons about the inner workings of human psychology, including, says Stuart Ewan, history professor at Hunter College, the conviction that one of Western civilization's most basic assumptions about human nature was deeply flawed.
6: Up until the early 1900s, one of the sort of fundamental assumptions was this kind of enlightenment idea that people are rational beings and that if you present a well-orchestrated case you can persuade people. That's the basic logic of the Declaration of Independence.
1: Freud, however, had a different vision of the human animal. He believed that people weren't rational at all, despite their apparently civilized exterior.
6: Underneath it is this sort of turmoil of instincts and of unconscious desires. And those kinds of things, although repressed, still exert an enormous power over the way people act.
1: Sex, aggression, security, self preservation. When Freud looked out at the world, he saw these drives motivating even the most ordinary activities. A concept, says Anne Bernays, daughter of Edward, grandniece of Freud, her father quickly absorbed. He ingested it early and just used it. That is, if you want to make somebody, do what you want them to. You don't hook into what they say they want. You try to find out what they really want. Which brings us back to breakfast, to the mid-1920s, when, as a young publicist, Bernays was asked by the Beechnut Packing Company to improve sales of its primary product, bacon.
4: Author Larry Tye has written a book on Bernays called The Father of Spin. He was basically hired by them to help restore sales that had sagged in a country that was on the run and was trimming its morning meal to juice, toast, and coffee. Now, the average PR guy back then would have told them, oh, put your bacon on sale, and that's the way to sell more of it, or go out and advertise, take out expensive ads in newspapers.
1: But Bernays clearly wasn't your average PR guy. Taking his cue from Freud, Bernays constructed a campaign intended to speak to a value much more basic than
4: thrift, physical security. Food is about more than something just to nourish you. It's something to create a sense of well-being about what you're putting into your body.
1: To connect bacon and well-being, Bernays distributed a survey to doctors. He asked one simple question, do you support a hearty breakfast or a light one? The doctors responded that hardy was best, so Bernays came up with his own definition of hardy, bacon and eggs. With a weight of medical authority behind him, he then initiated an educational campaign and the All-American Breakfast
4: was born. Before Eddie Bernays we never thought of bacon and eggs as the All-American Breakfast. So he was not just redefining a particular product, he was redefining the whole way America thought about the way they ate breakfast in a way that persists today.
1: Of course, Freud's insight into unconscious motivations had a profound impact in a variety of intellectual arenas. In mental health, generations of Americans became archaeologists of the mind. The concept also influenced economic thought and supplied countless graduate students in English with thesis material. But the way this idea transformed public relations is a lesson in unintended consequences. Prior to Freud and his nephew, publicity was all about emulating journalism. But after Freud and Bernays, the goal shifted from rational appeals to the stimulation of visceral impulse. Bernays wrote extensively about precisely how to apply Freud's complex theories, and his techniques were broadly adopted, used to sell everything from soap to presidents,
4: cigarettes to foreign policy, and possibly even genocide. A reporter from UPI once came back after a visit with Adolf Hitler's PR chief, Joseph Goebbels, and told Eddie Bernays that in Goebbels' library where they were doing the interview, one or two of Eddie Bernays' books were on those shelves. And it was clear that propaganda people, for better or for worse, used his theories and his ideas all around the world. Although Freud and Bernays corresponded
1: regularly until Freud's death in 1939, apparently Freud never had a very clear understanding of how his ideas were being applied and often recoiled when his nephew proposed some new plan to popularize his work.
4: Eddie Bernays was perpetually suggesting to Sigmund Freud in these letters ways of commercializing his complex psychodynamic theories. He offered at one point to help Sigmund Freud make a whole lot of money if he could sort of put him into quick ditties that housewives and that busy people could sort of remember these take-home messages. Freud quickly declined Bernays' offer, his biographer Larry Tye, Freud saw this as consummately American and just vulgar, and that's probably the way he would have seen if he had understood all the real ramifications of public relations and the way the career developed. I think Freud would have been shocked and outraged by a lot of what happened, but he also would have thought that was America and that was his nephew.
1: Although Bernays was tremendously proud of his work, in time he too found himself disturbed by how his ideas and techniques were employed by people with whom he disagreed, and Bernays. He thought it was going to be used well, this kind of uh, manipulative power. He thought or hoped that it was going to be used only for the good of everybody, which I think is unrealistic. Today, focus groups and opinion polls are used throughout the world to mine the subterranean desires of the consumer. Marketers use MRI machines to peer inside the brain. There are instruments that track eye movements, pulse, skin temperature, all in an effort to better understand emotional response. And despite the fact that we live in the so-called information age, much of the material that bombards us, that tells us what to eat, who to vote for, what to wear, how to feel about war, is not, says Professor Ewan, intended to appeal to our minds.
6: It's not that the public is incapable of thought, it's that the kind of material that's being shoveled in our direction is designed to bypass thought.
1: And for that we can thank, at least in part, Sigmund Freud. For NPR News, I'm Elise Spiegel in Washington.
0: So there you go, there's the... um Biography, a short one Because they didn't go into some other more uh, um, Entertaining or maybe not so entertaining uh, aspects Because it is whitewashed Because uh, Goebbels uh, used his um, his particular books uh, Was a big fan of Edward Bernays uh, And of course we know when They mentioned it in uh, Passing But they didn't uh, go into any great uh, uniqueness um, He was also you know aside from being probably part and parcel to the usage of uh propaganda in Nazi Germany uh there was the banana uh, let's see the banana republic uh Guatemala I think it was uh the United Fruit Company uh Bernays was tasked by the CIA and and uh government entities uh particularly uh Dallas I guess Dallas also was uh, connected to the United Fruit Company, he was on their board of directors uh, prior to his uh, taking over there. So there was a lot of intrigue involved, but they were uh, pissed off. Uh, the fruit company was because of the leadership. Uh, um, I think his name, I forget what they he got in the leadership uh, that was there. They were uh, They were afraid of the next leader coming in. They were trying to hijack the one that was there who was suddenly um, inter- entertaining, um, uh, distributing, um, uh, what do you call it, the land back to the people. So yeah, you could call it socialism or, or, or something along that line. However, we uh, we wanted to install our puppet who, uh matter of fact, I, I did see a video where uh, Richard Nixon, Vice President Nixon, went down there and... Uh, uh, I guess you could say buttressed Or uh, propped up this the new leadership That we had gotten um, elected there So there's a long history behind Bernays And his uh, influence on uh, Madison Avenue To like you said foreign policy To the, geno- the genocidal rages of uh, Nazi Germany So they go did launch off that the, one of the things that was mentioned there at the end was uh, uh, bypassing thought so we've seen the last 4 to 5 years a concerted propaganda machine in our in the United States to uh to attack and or uh to put uh, you know the white house in particular in the crosshairs the Trump administration in the crosshairs now leave aside this is one of those times when you have to separate uh, the man, the office, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're just talking about this is the person who's in charge of the government. He's in charge of the executive branch, and you have a media and the DC establishment that were doing everything, everything they can to hijack this guy, you know, for good or ill. And I know there will be people. There are people out there that still believe all the Russia hoax. They remember all the information they they bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. They were propagandized to for the last four to five years, the same way with Charlotte. Now, like I said, there is plenty. Th- there are plenty of things to criticize Trump over. Plenty of things to criticize him over. But one thing, and they, and they and you can criticize him over his comments and take his comments out of context. You can put. You can. You can take comments that he made and and actually be totally uh, accurate with the way you represent it and and of course you can always say well he was lying about everything well first of all I've never I don't think any president I've ever lived through was supposed to tell me 100% the truth of course he's in the sales position but what's worse is when he's in the sales position and then the media thinks they're in the sales position and not only were they uh, supposedly fact-checking him which the fact checkers nowadays are bought and paid for by Soros, because, uh, for example, uh, Facebook, uh, their their uh, quote unquote uh, board is populated by uh, Soros clowns. Uh, I think eighteen of the twenty people that were on that supposed board had uh, had Open Society connections or Open Foundation Open Society Foundation connections. So you have these concerted pincer uh, that are going on. And I don't want to go too far on this because I want to end this. Um, like I said, I had a rough day of getting this uh, recorded, but uh, <clears throat> the the biggest takeaway I think with him is that uh, they were uh, they they were basically trying to hijack the brain, and they know that people are easily primed and conditioned. The Freudian uh, aspects of uh, Bernays's uh, uh, program excuse me and uh, he's he's been used quite well by our modern media it's on steroids especially when you consider social media So social media just amplifies it because social media takes all the personal interaction out of the the situation when I say personal interaction I mean between texting and getting uh, dopamine hits from getting likes Um, it really sets people up for a certain conditioning, uh, every time you see a video, the videos are uh, can be selectively edited. It shows what you want it to show. More than one time, multiple times, the mainstream media has been caught staging things, uh, staging uh, the events with uh, regards to corona. Back in April and May, I think, CBS got caught doing it or using the same stock footage and presenting it as though it happened happened in the United States when it actually happened over in Italy um a host of scenarios they did that with uh they did that with attacks overseas and they staged they used stock footage that they had shot in Kentucky so when the media starts doing that they're false, they're presenting false realities to people instead of just you know presenting what they actually have it shows uh, a they what they think of you and b how much they think they can can distort and condition you to to listen to whatever they have to say you should never uh there's hardly any corporate media left that are worth listening to and if the ones that and on the rare occasions they are worth listening to you should be very paying very close attention to what they're what they're saying what they're showing you and who they interview and who they what those people are saying are they saying things that seem reasonable based upon the way they're presented are they presenting it without emotion? Are they presenting facts? Are they presenting actual information that they're, they've culled together from their experiences? Or are they just, they're just spouting off opinions? Now that doesn't mean that they're going to always be 100% without a doubt accurate. As a matter of fact, if, 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 they, if you never see them come back and correct themselves, then chances are they're not doing their jobs. So that's just my two cents on journalism there. So, we're going to end with a positive, well, a how to. Again, it's from uh, James Corbett. He just posted this recently uh, regarding homesteading. So, we'll move on from uh, uh, problems and go into something uh, solution based. Deserve as much as we can of our lifestyle. I think a lot of people are going
5: to resonate with what you're saying, regardless of where they are right now physically, because we've seen over the course of the past year, I mean, just take the the, the prime example, New York City. I mean, who wants to live in a place like that at this point? Um, uh, there's a lot of people who are leaving and for obvious reasons. But the question is, you know, where do you go and what do you start to do? And you mentioned the stead pill. I know what you mean by that, but I'm thinking there's probably a lot of people who don't. Let's talk about homesteading and what, what this concept is.
7: Yeah. So, I mean, the stead pill is really the idea kind of like catching people like what the what the red pill means. We all know what that means. We're, we've all taken it if they're watching your show. But I think a lot of tr- a lot of the truth community don't really they look at problems. They've read books like Tragedy and Hope or Great, you know, listen to your shows for years and have a, a – Criticisms of what's going on, but not necessarily a lot of solutions to, okay, well, what do you do? There's lots of solutions. You've covered them in this show for years, um, but getting on the land and actually you know, being able to be in control of your food, water, energy, and shelter are huge because just look at what happened in Texas, right? Look at what can happen anywhere in centralized systems is a, a switch can be flipped and then all of a sudden you are waiting in a bread line. And so this is really all about taking accountability for that, especially in this time we're in now. I don't think there's ever been a better time to get on the land or at least get into smaller areas where there's less people, especially less crazy people (laughs) and uh, start taking account for providing for yourself in, in, in the world.
5: My my sense is that you're never going to achieve the 100% self-sufficiency, but if you can at least become um, more self-reliant in a number of different ways and form connections with people in your area that can ho- help to supplement that and create that community, that's kind of the vision of what I'm thinking for this. But tell me what your perspective is.
7: Well, and I, I agree. I agree 100%. No, no, the, the whole lone wolf prepper uh, strategy is really difficult. And... And like, I'm a very social guy. I'm extroverted. And so I love to have people around me. And we we've kind of done that naturally, even just by coming out to where we are. We've connected with a lot of people. But but you're right. And so much of what's going to have to happen going forward is we're almost going to have to form our own sort of private societies, our own private communities, because if it gets to the point where, you know, in Canada, there's rumors of this Canada health pass coming out where you know, you don't have this vaccine, you can't do anything. And I think it'll take time. That'll probably take years down the road till you can't go to the grocery store without it, because that would just be genocide in a way to a lot of people, right? This is The system doesn't want that to happen so quickly. But it might get to that point in time, especially with enough, enough propaganda and enough fear mongering with all of this, it could get that way. But people are really going to have to start collaborating in so many different ways and saying, look, like, come together. And uh, I always tell people, you should know five people that have your back no matter what. That if things happen really quickly and you need to move or you need to go somewhere or you're just in need, five people that have your back and you would do the same for them. That's the beginning of a community. And what's so important about community, too, is that we need to have reasons to be in a community, just coming together in a community and saying, hey, we all like to, you know, sit around and smoke weed and talk politics. That's not really enough need. Needs and benefits are so important in community. And I think the way if we can find ways to, hey, I'll grow vegetables and fruit and then I'll source my uh, eggs from the guy down the street or I'll source my uh, pork from the guy up the road or things like this, having these connections, especially starting to form them now will be very important as things get tighter. And so that's that's one thing I always do every everywhere I am, I I always talk to other farmers. And because I'm a farmer, I can kind of know how to s- strike up conversation with them and get to know them. And, and I, I I take that very seriously. And We get very little of our food from the conventional system. So the majority of it comes from things we grow or things that we can get from people we know.
0: So there you go. I think that's a pretty good way to end this, um, that we need to form communities. Um, Know five people. um, Become uh, uh, accustomed to sharing and caring for each other. Like I said, get to know your neighbors. I know a lot of people do that, uh, but there's a lot of people that don't. It's going to be tougher in the cities for people to do something like that. I know from my my early childhood experiences that at one point we did... uh, we created a victory garden out back in the late 1970s i think maybe in 1980 when i was seven or eight years old and um my this was in tennessee so we grew tomatoes grew squash grew uh, watermelons radishes carrots um lots of uh Uh, cucumbers and then the whole nine yards so we had a pretty good bumper crop for one year Uh, that was one of the few things that my dad ever did right in his life and I can say that without a shadow of the doubt Uh, so um, anyway I I think what we should take away from this is that our uh, we've uh, dealt with a lot of uh, manipulation over the years I was trying to connect the dots that you know um, especially the last 20 years we've been, we've been suckered and sold down the river By politicians And media and educators And, and they're, they're doing nothing But lying to a lot of people And they're really destroying this country you know, One brick at a time So we'll, go, we'll close out here um, Once again With the same opening music um, I've enjoyed uh, Putting this together once again This is the third time It's a charm so at least shows a little bit of persistence on my part. It was a rough day. I finally got some audio settings taken care of and hopefully this broadcast henceforth will, will uh, live up to you know my my marginal expectations and hopefully you'll you'll get something out of it too. So I don't know what we'll talk about tomorrow, but it should be enter- entertaining. Um, I'll try to come up with some more clips. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, I think uh, all of us can learn every day. To try to do the best we can. Uh, pray for your family, relatives, your friends. And pray for this country. I appreciate your time. And I hope to uh, come
7: back tomorrow and we'll do it all again. Thank you very much. Good night.